be merciful to me. On thy grace I rest my plea. Plenteous in compassion thou. Blot up my transgressions now. Wash me, make me pure within. Cleanse, cleanse me from my sin. My transgressions I confess. Grief and guilt my soul oppress. I have sinned against thy grace and provoked thee to thy face. I confess thy judgment just, speechless I thy mercy trust. Broken, humbled to the dust, by thy wrath and judgment just, let my contrite heart rejoice. Ending gladness, hear thy voice. From my sins, oh, hide thy face. Blot them out in boundless grace. Gracious God, my heart renew. Make my spirit right and true. Cast me not away from thee. Let my spirit dwell in me. Thy salvation's joy impart. Steadfast make my willing heart. You may be seated. And if you would open your copy of the scriptures to Galatians chapter 5. The last three verses of chapter 5, verses 24 through 26. The title is on the mortification of sin. The word mortification from which we get mortician. And this is about putting sin to death in our lives. So one of the questions that you should be asking is, how do we do it? Or rather, how does the Spirit do it in us? Galatians chapter uh, chapter 5, beginning with verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Let's pray. God, as we have read Your Word, I pray that we would hear it by the power of Your Spirit and that we would keep in step with Your Spirit not only as this Your Word is preached but as we go out and live our lives uh, for You. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I assume many of you, most of you, uh, know of the character Achilles uh, in Greek mythology. He was an invincible warrior, but he had one weak spot. You know what it is. The heel of his foot. And as the um, Spartans attacked the Athenians, Paris, not the city, but the Athenian warrior, uh, killed Achilles by shooting a well-aimed arrow into his heel. That's the story of Achilles, a much more well-known mythical figure in American mythology, is the character of Superman. An invincible, super strong hero, able to leap over a single build, over a building in a single bound, more powerful than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet, and as strong and as powerfully as he is, he has one weakness: kryptonite. You take just a little pebble of kryptonite and if you were able to slip it into his boat into his boots without him knowing it he would become instantly weak and you could defeat him the flesh has no Achilles heel the flesh has no secret weaknesses there are no shortcuts to overcoming sin in our life. Overcoming sin is always a prolonged, protracted battle. It requires constant vigilance, consistent self-denial, and stubborn self-control. The good news is, and this is a battle, this is a war that you will win. God has promised that you will win it. So what is your role in defeating sin? What is your role in overcoming sin? Well, first of all, it is remembering that you have already been promised us the victory. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Jesus, or those who belong to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Look at that verse intently, because I think probably you may have read it the way I tend to read it and put it in the future tense. Those who are in Christ Jesus will crucify the flesh with his passions and desires. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say you will. It says you are. You have already done it. Uh, for those of you who who know a little Greek, uh, this is in the aorist indicative, the simple past. This is a completed fact. Paul is saying those who belong to Christ Jesus have already. Not that it's still in the process. But you have already crucified the flesh. What this means is when you came to Jesus Christ, your old self, your old nature died. It was crucified with Christ. Look over um, a couple of chapters. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. 
remembering that he says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, over in chapter 5 verse 24, have crucified the flesh. In chapter 2 verse 20, Paul says, those who belong to Christ themselves have been crucified. The reason we can crucify the, uh, the flesh is because we ourselves in Christ Jesus have been crucified. Romans chapter 6 verse 2 says, We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Romans chapter 6 verse 11 the Apostle Paul says because you've died to sin believe the facts he says in the same way count yourselves or, or believe what the scripture says count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus therefore and I'm adding in my little uh, commentary therefore because you have died to sin don't let sin reign in your moral body so that you obey its evil desires You have died in Jesus Christ. You were crucified with Christ. Your old nature was crucified with Christ. So why should you live under the power and reign of sin? It is a defeated, it is a dead enemy. In Romans chapter 6, I want to make this distinction as well. This is actually a distinction that the Apostle Paul makes. In Romans chapter 6, he says, We died to sin, or you you have been crucified with Christ. This is in the passive. The the past tense, but it's passive. You died. Um, God killed you. God crucified you. Your old nature in Christ. That's something that happened to you. Uh, This happened at your conversion. The moment that you came to Jesus Christ, the moment you cast your faith into Him, you died. You may not have realized it, but a death took place. A burial took place. Your old nature was crucified in Christ. That's something that happened to you. Something else happened at your conversion. This is not something that happened to you. This is something you did. What did you do? This is what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 5 verse 24. You crucified your flesh. Um, Aorist, active, indicative. You crucified your flesh. What you did was you took your flesh and you nailed it to that cross. Nailed it there. You crucified your flesh. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? I've never heard anybody talk about uh, crucifying their flesh. Well, you may know this, uh, what I'm talking about, by the more common way of expressing it. Uh, You repented of your sins. When you turned to Jesus Christ, you turned away from your sins. 
And at that moment, Paul is saying, at that moment when you turn from your sins to Jesus, you are nailing your sin nature, your sins, uh, to the cross of Christ. You are repenting. This is something that, that happens simultaneously. When you trusted Jesus, you repented of your sins. We could say that true saving faith is a repentant faith. Or we could turn it around and say true repentance is a believing repentance. There are two sides of the same coin. There's not... Saving faith does not exist without repentance. True repentance does not, um, does not exist without saving faith. This is not in my notes. I'm going to regret it when I look at the clock in a, in a few minutes for adding this in. But um, Judas, remember it talked about him being sorry for for betraying Jesus and he went and cast the, the, the coins, the 30 coins down um, at the, the feet of the, um, the priest, the high priest and everybody and then he ran out and hung himself because he was so sorry for what he did. But that was not true repentance. He was not mixed with faith. Um, true faith is a repenting faith. True repentance is a believing repentance. Two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. So what Paul's saying here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, is he is saying your battle with sin is a battle with a defeated, crucified, already dead enemy. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God is not fighting a losing battle in your soul. I know it feels like it sometimes. I know it feels like you're losing the battle. I feel like I'm losing the battle myself. Oftentimes. I'm not talking about pie in the sky stuff here. I'm talking about stuff that happens repeatedly throughout the day. We battle with sin. The good news is, the gospel is, God has already defeated sin in us. You have already crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God is not fighting a losing battle against sin in your soul. So the picture that is being painted here by the Apostle Paul in verse 24 is that when we came to Christ, we ripped off our old nature. We hung it on the cross and we took those jagged nails and nailed it to the cross. And that was our repentance. So, the good news is, your victory over sin is assured. That's why we're called more than overcomers, more than conquerors, through Him who loved us. And even though, and I need to be clear about this, even though you are fighting against a defeated um, crucified dead enemy that dead enemy is still active um, I remember in college I went and saw this movie Beetlejuice I don't know if you've ever seen it 
But it's, Beetlejuice is a dead guy who is trapped in a children's train set up in the attic of this house. You know, the, the dad apparently had built a nice train set with the uh, representation of the town, and somehow Beetlejuice, because he was a bad guy, um, got banished to this little town, and he couldn't get out. And so what he would do is he would, if you said his name three times, the spell would be broken and he could come into the real world. So he's always trying to get people to repeat his name. And so he would beg them, please just say my name three times. Just say it, Beetlejuice. Or he would try and deceive them into saying, you know, make them really angry so that they would, he would say his, they would say his name. Or he would bargain with them, I'll do this for you if you'll say this, my name three times. The reason I bring this up is the flesh hanging there on the cross is always begging or trying to deceive us, trying to bargain with us, trying to climb down from the cross. And remarkably, we are often tempted to pull out the nails, let the the flesh down from the cross, and and even nourish it back to health. A little sin won't hurt, but it will always have devastating effects in your life. And what Paul is telling us is not only to leave our sin on the cross where it belongs, but he is saying, make sure that you mortify it. Make sure that you kill it. Make sure that you just don't nail it there, but crucify it. You know, in the... um, the Roman centurions when someone would be crucified. Uh, we saw it even with our Lord Jesus. To make sure he was dead, they stabbed him in the side with their spear after he had died. Make sure that the sin is dead. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying if it has made its way down, put it back up there and then pound those nails even more deeply into the cross. So the question becomes, how do we keep the flesh up on the cross? How do we keep our sin nailed to that cross? If it's crucified, how do we keep it there? Well, ultimately, it is the Spirit of God who helps us to keep the flesh on the, on the cross. Um, look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. It is He who keeps our sinful desires with his passions uh, and desires uh, up on the cross. And the Holy Spirit, when we came to Jesus Christ, not only did we trust in him, not only did we repent, turn from our sin and and nail our our, um, sinful nature to the cross, but the Holy Spirit, God himself, took up residence in our souls. Um, the Apostle Paul again in Romans chapter 8 in a parallel passage with the one we have before us he says therefore brothers we have an obligation but it is not to the sinful nature because sinful nature is dead it's, it, it's, it's hanging on the cross so we don't so we have an obligation but not to the sinful nature to live according to it for if you live according to the sinful nature you will die but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body you will live because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
because the Holy Spirit, or because in Jesus, my His Spirit lives in us, we live because of Him. And because we live because of Him, doesn't it make sense that we would walk with Him? If we live by the Spirit, look at verse 25, let us also walk by the Spirit. I never thought I would say this. In my first several years in ministry, when I would preach from the NIV, I would get so frustrated because I would say, the NIV says this, but the Greek says this. Don't be confused. And so you need to to uh, write in the margin what the Greek says because NIV would stretch the meaning of a word from time to time. To make, they would try to make it more clear and sometimes they would mess up the meaning. The ESV is wrong here on this passage. The New International Version is more clear when it says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm looking at this word in the Greek, and I'm expecting when I'm looking at the word walk, I'm, I'm expecting to see the word peripateo, which is the normal, common word for walk. The word peripateo is not in the Greek. It is the word stoikomen. And that's the uh, third person uh, singular, I mean, uh, first person plural. Um, Stoikomen, it's a military term. And it's the idea of keeping in step. Uh, so, for instance, you have the, uh, the military out there and they are in formation. And then they are to keep in step as the formation moves. As the soldiers march, they are to keep in step with the rest of the formation. This is the word stoicomen. This is what this means. So he's not saying if we live by the Spirit, let's simply walk with the Spirit. You know, he walks with me, he talks with me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying keep in step with him. March in line with him. Stay in line with the Spirit. In the military formation, instead of the commander telling every soldier which way they need to go, you only needed to have the officer in in charge of the formation know where they needed to go. And he would point the direction. He would go and the rest of the formation would go along with him. If he turned to the right, the rest of the formation would pivot. Right. You're right. Uh, My right. They would pivot to the right with him. I would not have made a very good soldier. Um, The entire formation would be trained to go where he went. And if you couldn't see where the officer was going, that's okay. If you're in the middle of the formation and you're short and you can't see over everybody else, that's okay. Because you just go where the rest of the formation goes. If the rest of the formation turns to the right then you're just turning right along with them. You simply keep in step with the person ahead of you in the formation. And this is, I think the Apostle Paul uses this word stoicum in purposely to illustrate um, something very important for the Christian life. Uh, The Holy Spirit, if you will, is our drill sergeant. Uh, We follow Him. He leads us in a life of love for God and for our neighbor. And He barks at us when we get out of line. Or theologically, we call this conviction of sin. 
This illustration also serves us well in another respect, and I think the Apostle Paul intended uh, for, uh, for us to see this. Because verse 26, he goes right on, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And his point here is we are not expected to walk along the spirit by ourselves with the spirit by ourselves. We're not simply to keep in line and step with him um, as lone rangers. We are to keep in step with the spirit within the formation of other believers. And so if you're in the middle of the formation, and verse 26, you've become conceited and you think that you can walk faster than everybody else, you're going to mess up the, the formation. Or if you provoke the other person to your left or, or whatever and try and trip them up, or as I like to do to my children, step on their heels and give them a flat tire, you know that doesn't help the formation go forward. So don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. Somebody else, well, they seem... They're stronger and bigger. Um, And so you're envying them and you're thinking about them rather than what you're to be doing. No, you stay in the formation. In other words, um, Christians are not expected to overcome sin by themselves. Christians are expected to overcome sin by staying in formation, by, by having the help from other believers. You may not realize this, but if you are in Jesus Christ, you have believers marching in front of you, you have believers marching behind you, you have believers marching at your right and your left hand. Their presence is intended to help keep you in line, to help you walk more faithfully uh, with Christ, to keep in step with the Spirit. You start getting tired, they encourage you to keep going. You get out of line, they encourage you to get back in line. They pick you up if you stumble. This is who we are as the body of Christ. One of the things that we've been talking about as a session is we've not done this difficult work as well as we should of keeping the congregation in formation. We feel like we've let a lot of people run on their own uh, without insisting that they run the Christian life within the strength of the body of Christ. And I take that responsibility. And so uh, it is my singular focus to help us as the body of Christ to gather up in formation so that we can run with the strength of each other. You know, the little illustration of the campfire. You know, you push the embers together and the fire, you know, becomes stronger and more heated. Have I oversimplified the battle plans in our overcoming sin? Or have I understated the fierceness of the battle in our war against sin? Uh, To conclude, I want to talk about the fierceness of our battle in our war against sin and then talk about the battle plan. Romans 8.13 is is almost the exact parallel of our passage here in Galatians. The Apostle Paul says, If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Let me just pause there. 
if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. The Apostle Paul is saying that we are engaged in a battle to the flesh. You give up. You don't fight that battle. You will die. You give in. You give your consent to sin. You follow its passions and desires. You will die. But, if by the Spirit you put the debt to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice here, you have a responsibility, you have a role to play, but it's the Spirit, by the Spirit, that you put to death the misdeeds of the body. It's a battle to death, to the death. It is a costly battle. It will require of you time, effort, vigilance, self-control, self-denial, and many, many tears. The alternative is that you will die. The alternative is spiritual death. Those who refuse to take up the battle to put, uh, to put the passions and desires of the flesh to death are by default willing to live according to the flesh. This is giving consent to sin. You are involved in a fierce battle to the death. So what's the battle plan? in our war against sin. First of all, you start by taking your stand on justification by faith. You start by reminding yourself of the assurance you have in Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven. If you are in Jesus Christ, you can know that God loves you. If you are in Jesus Christ, you can know that God is for you. If you are in Jesus Christ, you can know that He did not spare His own Son for you. If you are in Jesus Christ, all of His promises are yes and amen to you in Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, He has made you more than an overcomer, more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. And God the Holy Spirit lives in your soul. And He is at work in your soul. All this are inferred, or rather, the implications of justification by faith. God is for you. All your sins, that sin that you're battling to get rid of, it's already been forgiven. You don't need to pay for it. It's already been forgiven. It's already been cast as far as God is concerned from the east is from the west. Secondly, you take your stand on justification by faith. Secondly, encourage yourself to have a God-centered and God-captivated life. And this is what we talked about in Sunday school. See God in the Scriptures. Um, And I was recommending A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God, um, G.I. Packer, Knowing God, Anything by uh, John Piper. Read uh, them. They will help you to see uh, the greatness of God. Chris Lundgren says this, If we want to put sin to death in our hearts, we have to swallow the strongest doses of God's terrible majesty that we can. 
look at God. And he says, God's radiating majesty kills the rotten marrow of sin and replaces it with humility. And his point is, is that sin cannot breathe in an atmosphere of fear and reverence before God. Suffocate the sin by being enthralled with God. Thirdly, search your soul to see your sin. David in Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is his solemn prayer at the end of Psalm 39. Do you remember how he started Psalm 139? God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I lie down, when I get up, when I go out. If I go to the further ends of the earth, you're there. If I rise to the heights, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. God, you know me. And he spends the entire psalm saying, reminding his soul, God, you know me. And then he comes and he asks and he makes this prayer. Seems like the prayer should have been at the beginning. Search me, O God, know my heart. Well, God already knows him. And what's happening here? David knows that it is a scary thing to look into your soul honestly before God. And so he reminds himself, God already knows me. He knows me inside and out. He knows the words on my tongue even before they come to be. He knows me. And he loves me. And so he is emboldened. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive or wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And the the beauty here, he's not trying to just beat himself up. Remember the woman uh, who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and with her hair? Jesus said, she's done this because she who has been forgiven much, loves much. David is reminding himself of his sin. He is looking at himself honestly before God. And he's reminded of how much God has forgiven him. And by consequence, how much God loves us. The problem is, sin is often not that bad to us. Sin, that is, when forgiveness is lightly considered, love to God is lightly given. What I've done on the back of the bulletin, instead of giving you an outline, and I'm not going to read any of this, I just want to refer you to it, are some quotes, not quotes, but um, are self-examination questions from John Wesley, uh, from George Whitfield, and from Jack Miller. And I've used these profitably in my own life. Um, it takes almost an afternoon to really go through these and pray about them. And uh, so for the, the third step here in your battle plan, uh, search your soul to see your sin. These questions can be helpful in that regard. Fourth and lastly, make use of the means of grace. I've already been talking about all these already. They've already been implied. In other words, saturate your soul with biblical truth. Pray earnestly to God to help you by His Spirit to overcome the sins in your life. Participate wholeheartedly in the Lord's Supper when we celebrate it here at the church. Find an accountability partner who's going to ask you those hard questions. Who's going to give you that encouragement that you need so that you can walk in formation 
with other believers. Let me remind you of the gospel by reading this passage and we'll be finished. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, I worship you that the issue of the battle between ourselves and our sin has never been uncertain and that it will always end in victory because at Calvary Christ broke the dragon's head when we contend against our sin we, defend, we contend against a vanquished foe who with all his subtlety and strength has already been overcome. Father, when we feel the serpent at our heel, help us to remember that he whose heel was bruised has broken the serpent's head. Father, I pray that you would fill our souls with that inward joy that comes from knowing our mighty Savior who has conquered sin in us and will continue to conquer it. We give ourselves to you wholeheartedly, completely, quickly. Defeat the sin that has already been defeated in Christ, defeated in us by the power of your Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name.